Well, as we come into Romans chapter 9, starting verse 6, we realize that we're dealing with a doctrine of election. We realize the Bible speaks much about it. It's definitely a much hated doctrine. But I want us to see exactly what the Word of God says in return for this doctrine. This is a teaching of the Scripture. This is not man-made. This is the Word of God. I want you to hear what God's Word says. God is very clear in His Word. He's very black and white. The gray area can be expelled by studying and meditating upon the Word of God. And so when we look at the Scripture here today, we realize that these are verses that many churches pass over. Many churches do not preach through Romans 9. But as we've been going through the whole book of Romans, we are in our next segment, and I want us to hear what the Word of God says. I want us to be very faithful to the text. We're not being faithful to tradition. We're not being faithful to what people may say about this text. We are speaking what God has said in the text, in the Word of God. So as we come into these verses, we are dealing with the Word of God. God has written to us very plainly. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is the illuminator. He is the one that gives us clarity and understanding into the truth of Scripture. And to a child of God, we have nothing to fear. We can rest in Christ and Christ alone. And I hope that you have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'd be willing to lay even your life down for the cause of Christ. And so as we look here, we have the verse here to illustrate a truth. Paul here reminds his readers that even the racial and national promises that are made to Abraham, as we're going to see and understand these things, these were not made to the physical descendants of his, but only to those who came through Isaac. And so the Bible says in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Okay? And so I want you to realize that we're talking about Abraham and Sarah. We can go back to the covenant promises, Isaac and Rebekah. These are going to be our characters that we're going to speak of. And so as we take God's word at its value written here before us, I think we can come to a clear understanding that we are thankful to God for saving us. I also make a statement that a man cannot be saved apart from God. Either God saves or God does not save. God sent his son to be a savior of all that would come to Christ. That is what the Bible says. We see verses like John 6.37, all that come to the Son are those that the Father has given to him. We understand that. We realize that God has a purpose for everything. So when you and I read the Word of God, we know that God's Word speaks. We know that when it speaks, it speaks truth. We know that we can stand on the promises of God. We have an absolute 100% confidence that this is the word of God. We do not falter in that way. You cannot say that you are a Christian and yet doubt the word of God. The Bible is very clear that if a man says, well, I don't believe in the Old Testament or I don't believe in the New Testament, you can rest assured that man or woman is not a Christian. 
The Bible is very clear that when the Holy Spirit came in and bared witness with our spirit that we were the children of God, like in Romans 8.16, you can rest assured the Holy Spirit made it very clear, this is the word of God, hear and read, meditate and understand what God has written to us. So when we look at the scripture here, coming into our text, we realize in verse 6, the Bible says, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. That's very interesting when you look at the wording there. I mean, we just came off of the first five verses where Paul was saying he wished himself a curse that his brethren would be saved. We can see the heaviness, the continual sorrow in his heart. We can see the pain and the anguish knowing that if they perish without Christ, that they surely will die in their sins and trespasses. And so when you look here, not as though the word of God have taken none effect, I thought of the verse here in Jeremiah 32, verse 42. The Bible says, for thus saith the Lord. Now, if you look in your Bibles, the Lord is all caps. So we're dealing with Yahweh. When you have them all caps, L-O-R-D, that is the name of God. That would be Yahweh, okay? So he says here, for thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people. I want you to notice the wording here. I have brought all this great evil upon this people. Who brought the evil upon Israel that Jeremiah is speaking to? God says, I did it. Okay, that's very important to understand that. People look at God and say, God wouldn't do such a thing. Yes, he would. He has done it. He has written it in his book. And to you that are well-read and well-studied, you know without a shadow of a doubt that God has a purpose for everything, even the evil that's in the world. And so the scripture says here, For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought thee all this great evil upon the people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. I mean, I don't know about you, but standing upon the promises of God are simply amazing. To be resting upon God's word and say, for I know whom I believe. When I understand that I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, when I understand that I have been bought, that I've been redeemed, that I've been purchased, I've been bought back by the hand of God for one purpose, for his purpose, for his glory, for salvation is of the Lord, salvation is of God, salvation is a gift that is given to sinful men and women such as we. So when the word of God says here in Romans 9, 6, not as though the word of God have taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So when we look here immediately, he makes a reference here. It is not the idea where some say that every Jew will be saved in the end. That is not true. That is not the word of God. Contrary to popular belief, contrary to what people like to push, the Bible says, as it's spoken here, very much black and white, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. In Romans chapter 2, verse 28, the Bible says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so when we look here, we realize the praise of our salvation is never about men. It is never about ourselves. It is about God who saves. It is God who regenerates. It is God who calls, just like the scripture says here. And so you and I realize that if a person is saved or born again, all the glory goes to God. That means that God has saved you. God has moved upon your heart. God has made you alive in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when 
Paul is opening up here in Romans. He says, not as though the word of God has taken none effect. We know God's word accomplishes exactly what it's supposed to accomplish. They are not all Israel, which are Israel. He's establishing his point, his thesis here in the opening remarks here in Romans 9. And so when he moves into verse 7, what does he say? Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now when you look here and we see these references that we find here in Romans 9, of course he is quoting from the book of Genesis. He's quoting from the book of beginnings because that's what Genesis means, beginnings. And so we can look back into the covenant promises that God made with Israel. This is important. God has made promises to Israel. That means that God will perform his promises that he has given to Israel. So we know the veil that is over their eyes today, one day God will rent, one day he will open their eyes and they will behold the Messiah whom God sent, who is the anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we know this? How do we know Paul is quoting correctly? Well, Paul would definitely be an Old Testament theologian. You can rest assured Paul had many books of the Old Testament memorized because he was a Pharisee. He was raised up in the Old Testament law. He was blind in his heart until God removed the blindness of his eyes in Acts chapter 9, had the Damascus Road experience, came into an understanding of who Jesus Christ was, repented of his sin, believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul was dramatically saved the same way. If you and I are born again here today, Paul was saved the same way that we also have been born again. So the Bible says here, again in verse 7, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. This is Abraham and Sarah. And I will establish my covenant with him, Isaac, for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him, Isaac. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he be God and I will make, a, make him a great nation, Ishmael, of the bondwoman. Okay? And it says here in verse 21, but my covenant, this is God speaking, my covenant will I establish with Isaac. Okay, It's important here, which Sarah shall bear upon thee at this set time in the next year. So when we look at the word of God here, what does he say? He says, I have established my covenant. My covenant is with Isaac. It is not with Ishmael. That's important to understand that. So when the Bible says here in Romans chapter 9, verse 7, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So when you come into verse 8, he says, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of of God. So Abraham's offer of Hagar and Keturah, if you went back into the Old Testament, you would realize they were not chosen to receive the national prophecies that were made to Isaac. Okay, I know when we open up that word and we use the word chosen, we realize in the English language that chosen and elected are the same Greek word, and it means God did it beginning to end. And so when he says here, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise, 
Look at the word promise here, are counted for the seed. So Paul's point here is that just not all of Abraham's descendants belong to the physical people of God or national Israel, as some would say. Not all these are the true children of Abraham, and that's what Paul's establishing here, but through Isaac are the true spiritual people of God. They enjoy the promises that are made to Abraham's spiritual children. Now, you and I, if we are truly born again here today, we are God's children. We have been adopted into God's family. We have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb of God that was shed before the foundation of the world. We have been chosen in Christ because God did it beginning to end. The Bible says, he that began the good work will perform it. Who is that? That is God. He will perform it, and he reconciled us unto himself in Christ. So when you look at a verse like this, that is, they which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So how do we know this? Well, let's take some New Testament references. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man. Now look at the wording here. Words are important. Isn't it amazing that a sovereign God decided to write a book for us to read his form of communication to his creatures? We are the Imagideo. We are the image of God. We have been created in the image of God. Every one of you here today have been created in the image of God. That's important to understand that, especially in our day and age. But he says here in Romans 4, 6, even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Now, if we stood before the Lord and we said, "How do you? why should I let you know my heaven? Well, the answer would be, that's a Baptist slogan that's used quite often. The answer would be because God imputed the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, into my heart and truly saved me eternally. So our standing before God is the imputed righteousness, but I want you to understand God did it, okay? He did it for us. Remember, if you go into the Greek language, we see our word for, it means in behalf of, okay? Every time you see the word for, for Christ died for us, in behalf of us, he came for a people, he died for a people, he paid the debt of that people and all their sin, he played it completely once and for all. So when the scripture says here, even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. So if we move from Romans 4.11, the Bible says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised. Okay, that's important. That he might be the father talking about Abraham, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So when we talk about double, double imputation, we are saying Christ took our sins upon him and bore them at Calvary, and his passive and active life of obedience before the Father, his righteousness was imputed to us. Our sins were imputed to Christ. He paid our debt in full, and his righteousness was imputed to us, where we stand justified, declared righteous by a holy God, 
before him, for he is holy. And so when you look at the word saint, people say that if you are a born-again Christian, you are a saint. That word saint means a holy one. I am a holy one before God based upon the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, for Christ bore my sin, paid it in full, my past, my present, my future sin, all sin has been paid for by Christ. And so we wonder to ourselves, do I have a love for this Christ whom has bore my sin and paid it in full and has imputed his righteousness to me? I would say, dear child of God, you should love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart more than anyone in your life. Because the truth of it is, he must be the most precious part of why you live. Well, let's continue with that. You have it there in Romans 4, 6, 4, 11. Well, let's jump to Romans 11, 3. The Bible says, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thy altars, and I am left alone, and they that seek my life. There's so many prophets and so many preachers down through the years that fully understand this. And so the scripture says, but what saith the answer of God unto him? Very interesting quote here. We have, a, we have a question. The Bible says, but what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So the Bible makes it very clear that God has reserved the 7,000 unbelievers in a time appointed where they are going to be converted. And so when we look at the scripture here, he says, even so then at the present time, also there is a runment according to the election of grace. So when we look at the word of God, we're not afraid of it. Do not be afraid of the word predestination. Do not be afraid of the word election. Do not be afraid of the word effectual calling. This is the work of God. This is how God saves a soul. This is the God that has paid our sin debt in full. This is the Christ that went and died for our sins once and for all and paid the eternal debt of all that will come to Christ through repentance and faith and only through them that repented and believed did he die for. So what does the scripture say? So when we come here, Paul is establishing a very clear point that not all Israel is Israel. But what we're also establishing here is that there is a remnant according to grace whom God is going to save. The Bible uses the word, the election of grace. And I don't know about you, but I thank God for grace. I thank God for mercy. And so when you look here again in verse 8, back into our text, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. Now, I want you to know, when I look at the word of God and I see a word of promise given to me from God, I want to heed it. I want to understand it. I want to know exactly what that promise is. God, when he makes a promise, he never reneges. He fulfills everything that he's going to do. Anything God has spoken in his word will come to be. Anytime that he speaks to us, it will be truth. We know and we can bank our life on it that God is there. Man says, how can you believe in a God you can't see? Oh, I'll tell you what. I read the word of God and I see God everywhere in the pages of scripture. I see the power of blessing, the power of love, the power of grace, the power of mercy. I see the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And I know God's word can strike the heart. I know God's word can change the life. I know that God's word can do miracles in the hearts of men. 
And so when you look at the scripture here, as you come back in, for this is the word of promise, and look at the wording here, for this is the word of promise. Paul is really bringing this out very clearly. This is the word of promise. And what does he say? At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. So when we look at the word here in verse 9, what are we doing? Well, we're quoting from the Old Testament. That's what Paul's doing. Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it at the tent door and was behind him. But I want you to think about that for a minute. She says, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Well, who was the one that spoke that to Sarah? It was God did this. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think about the purposes of God, God accomplishes his purposes. Amen. I mean, if you looked around the world today and you wondered, is God still accomplishing his purpose with all the wickedness and the evil? I say, absolutely he is. God can use even the evil to accomplish his means. The Bible is very clear with that. And so when I look at the scripture here, I want you to realize, for this is the word of promise that's important. And at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Again, that's quoted from Genesis 18. And when you come into verse 10 into our text, and not only this, but when Rebecca, now Rebecca's going to be Isaac's wife, and Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. Now remember the promise has been given to Isaac. God made a covenant promise to Isaac. That's important. And so when you come into verse 11, which is a very scandalous verse, some would say, some would say, I don't want to teach through this. I don't want to see what it says. Well, I want to see what it says. I want to know what it says. And I want to stand convicted for what it does say. Because when I look over the world and I see the evil that's happening today, if I did not believe that God was on the throne, I should be scared to death. But I know that he reigns on the throne. I know no man can thwart his purpose. And I know he can take the heart of any king, of any president, of any ruler, dictator, whatever. And God can turn that heart whatever way he chooses to do it. And for now, he has chosen to turn it exactly the way it is today. So what do we do? We give glory to God. Okay, and so when we come into verse 11, the Bible says, now let's work through this verse here a little bit. Because some people, they read this, it makes them kind of nervous. Okay, and let's read through it. The Bible says, verse 11, Romans 9, for the children being not yet born. Well, let's get established the children here. Well, we're talking about the twins. We're talking about Jacob and Esau. Okay, that's going to be our context for the children being not yet born. Okay, and so when we think about Jacob and Esau, we're going to realize God loves Jacob, God hates Esau. And I want you to realize God said this. This wasn't a man's idea. This wasn't a man's interpretation. This was not an Jesus. This was not some misconstrued idea. This is the word of God. Hear what it says. I believe that when you open up the word of God and you go and expound through the verses of scripture, I believe the Holy Spirit brings clarity into our hearts to say, yea, this is God and this is what he has spoken. Do not get fearful reading through different chapters and saying, I'm not really sure, I'm kind of scared about this, because all scripture is interpreted with scripture. 
That's how you interpret scripture. You do not interpret it with commentaries. You do not interpret it with tradition. You do not interpret it with his idea says this, this guy says that, that one says this. I interpreted scripture with the scripture. I believe in the canonicity of scripture, the unity of scripture, and I believe this book has been given to me from God. I believe that is the word of God, and I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'd die on that hill, and I hope you would too. So when we look here for the children being not yet born, talking about the twins, Jacob and Esau, neither having done any good or evil, but God's choice, as we look here, of Jacob instead of Esau. Neither of these two that have not been born yet, having done any good or evil. Now look what he says here. This is to continue that physical line that was not based upon personal merits or demerits. And it wasn't like they were born and God said, I'm going to pick the best one out of the two. No. God did this before they were even conceived in her womb. Okay? This is important. Because you're talking about God here. So the Bible says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Now I know people say, well, I don't like that word election. If it's in the word of God, I love it. I love all them words. They don't scare me. And they shouldn't scare you either if you're God's child. Because when you think about this, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Now we have that word might stand. I want you to realize if you went into the languages, you would know the purpose of the God according to the election stands. Okay? So what are we now talking about here? I mean, God's choice of Jacob resides solely in his sovereign plan. So when I think about the purpose of God... We're talking about the sovereign plan of God. Okay? You're here in this building today by the purpose and the sovereign plan of God. That's why you're here. Now look what he says here. That the purpose, according to election, might stand. This is a perfect example of election unto salvation. Before they were born, before they were conceived, God spoke, okay? So that's important. So when you look here, God has chosen some Jews to salvation. God has chosen some Gentiles, but not all for salvation. That is what the Bible says. And so when we look here, for the children being not yet born, neither have done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. And we say, to God be the glory, amen? I mean, could you imagine a man could thwart the purposes of God? If man could interrupt God's plan and throw in a curveball that God wasn't expecting and strike and miss the ball when it came through? Absolutely not. God's purpose always accomplishes its purpose. So look what he says again. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, and not of works... This is the important part of this verse. Not of works. It was never about your merits or your demerits. Never about how good you were or not good. What it's about is God's purpose in election. The Bible says, 
not of works, but of him, the him is God, in our, in our text, right? But of him that calleth. Theologians call that the effectual call. If you look at our word called in the New Testament, every time it's used, it's always only in reference to believers. Never one time is it ever used in reference to an unbeliever. And so when we look here, he says, not of works, but of him that calleth. The fact that God made his choice of Jacob before the boys were born, apart from any personal merit on their part, this is the demonstration that election under spiritual life, this is unrelated to any human effort. It is not about me that I chose this, I did that. It is God completely and totally. It's based only on the prerogative of God, the one who makes his selection. So when we look at like a verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, God's Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we say, Amen. So when we have the verses to back up here, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful. Now, to a child of God, we are thankful God is faithful because we are not. We are not faithful to God, but he is faithful to us. The Bible says God is faithful by whom, the whom would be God, ye were called, that's the effectual call of God, under the fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, And when we look at a verse like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he, God, called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you come into that next verse, after this understanding here, verse 11, verse 12, it was said unto her, her, Rebecca, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. The elder shall serve the younger. Where are we quoting from? Let's go to Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. Because Paul is definitely an Old Testament theologian. Paul did not have a New Testament as we have it today. He quotes much of this from the Old Testament. His whole understanding comes from the, whole test, the Old Testament. So when they say, we don't need the Old Testament. If somebody tells you you don't need the Old Testament, you can tell them, I said, they're a liar. You need the New Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You need to read both. But he says in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Two nations. That's important. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So when we look at our verse here, Romans 9, 12, And it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. So what are we talking about? God has spoken in the Old Testament. Paul is quoting from the Old Testament 
to do an exegesis of what God has given us here in the scripture. And so when you come to this verse here that has made some very upset and very mad, the interpretation, the understanding of it, but God, what do you say? God says, verse 13, Romans 9, as it is written. Now remember in the New Testament, when we see that quote, quite often we do, as it is written, what are they quoting? Back to the Old Testament. As it is written, over and over again, as it is written. Whenever you see that in the New Testament, he's coming back from the Old Testament. Because that is what they had. They had the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in the Greek language. That is the Bible that they had, just the Old Testament. It was in the Greek language, and we understand that that is the Septuagint. That's the Bible. And so when he says here, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, the eye is God. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Okay, Lord, where in the Old Testament would you say such a thing? Here it is, Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet we say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Think about that. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob? Verse 3. And I hated Esau. Verse 2, or verse 4. Look at verse 3. Look what he says. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. God, who did that? I did it. I love Jacob. I hated Esau. And actually, the emotional hatred for Esau and his offspring is really not the point here. I mean, Malachi, as you see what he wrote here in this declaration, this was written 1,500 years after their death. And you know, Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. Okay, if you didn't know where that book was. So he was looking back at these two men. By extensions, he's looking back at the nations. And what do we know? We're talking about Israel and Edom. This is whom he's referring to. God chose one for divine blessing and protection. God did it. The other he left for divine judgment. And it came. Just like Malachi stated. God did it. And so when we look here, what are we thinking about? Come back into verse 14. The question Paul poses to us. What shall we say then? Now remember, Paul is quoted from the Old Testament multiple times. He's given us the understanding. He's made it very clear to us. He's given us the clarity here. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? That's the question of the day. Is there unrighteousness with God? I would say absolutely not. The Word of God says, God forbid because he's God. He's God. I mean, Paul once again anticipates his readers' objection to Paul's theology, just like they do today. They object to this. They say, no, but God's word says, yes. It's black and white. 
It's very clear throughout the scripture. So if God were to choose some to salvation and pass over others from their merits or their actions, that would make God unfair. You know, for some reason, man thinks God's being unfair. You don't understand God is holy. You don't have a clue what fair is. If you understood God's fairness, we all should be damned. That's fair in our kind of thinking. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he, God, loved us like he loved Jacob. That's the Ephesians 2.4. But when we look here, that makes God unfair, as some would say. Absolutely not. What has God spoken? Look at the scripture. Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this matter, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that it be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Does God ever do anything wrong? I mean, think about that for a minute. We're not talking about a God in your mind, in your imagination. We're talking about the God of Scripture. That's why we go through Behold Your God on Thursday night. We want you to see who God is, not some figment of your imagination that you made up that you're going to trust your life with and find out it's going to disappoint you in the end. And that's a very light term. It will utterly destroy you if you've never met God. And so when you look here, another verse, when you think about, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Every true child of God says, God is right. So everything that goes on in the world, God controls Yes. Yes, nothing happens apart from God. We don't go into what they call open theism, where things happen and God's just trying to figure it out. I don't know that God. He don't exist. I know this God. And he says, everything works according to his counsel. So what happens today or tomorrow or next week or next month? God's already been there. I have nothing to fear. Because he's given me faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I have nothing to fear. It's not about me and my merits. It's not about how good of a Christian I am. It's not about how much of a Bible I read or how much information I have in my head. It is about Christ. That's the difference. And so when you read a verse like Psalm 119, 137, Righteous aren't thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy judgments. I mean, think about that for a minute. He says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. 
So when you look at the scripture here, think about that for a minute. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. I'll tell you what, God is righteous in everything he does. God is righteous in the damnation of every soul that is trampled over the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is righteous if he saves this man or that woman. God did it. That's why we can't say, I figured it out. I did this. I did that. God saved my soul. God moved in my heart. God changed my life. I didn't do it. And God did not have to save me. But God chose to save me. And if you're saved here today, God chose to save you. That's an important understanding. And so when you look at the scripture here, look what the Bible says. I mean, if we're going to understand the word of God, let us hear the word of God. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. The Bible says, thus saith the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I read the Old Testament prophets, and I think we should read them more than we do, I love to read them because the warnings there are definitely for today. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. We have a lot of people that glory in their wisdom, do we not? But the Bible says here, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, and let not the rich man glory in his riches. We have celebrities all over the world that love to bring glory to themselves. They are the epitome of fools. They're like the flower that raises up for a little while and in the end it just dies and shrivels. They're fools. What does the Bible say? And this should speak to our heart. Verse 24, Romans 9, or Jeremiah 9. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. This is God speaking. We can know a lot of things. We can be uh, intellectual. We can have a high IQ. We can have a great understanding of all these different things. We can be the jack of all trades and, the, and, and all these things that we can do. And the master of none, I believe it goes. But I just want to know Christ. I don't have to have all the intellectual understanding of everything. I just want to know Christ. And so my glory is never here. I know what this is. This is a, a body full of sin. And falls short of the glory of God every day. Whether it be in mind or action. It's a horrible thing. But one day, I get a new body. I'll never get old again. I'll never get sick. And I'm going to be praising God. For all eternity. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Who is that? It's God. And what's it say? For in these things I delight. This is the Lord speaking. 
So when you look at the scripture here, he says, verse 24 of Jeremiah 9, Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he have understanding and knoweth me, for I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So when you look at our text and you wonder to yourselves, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? forbid God knows exactly what he's doing you look at the evil that's going on in our world you think this has caught God off guard no there's purpose for it God does nothing without a purpose And man can't thwart his purpose. But if you truly been born again here today and you truly love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you could say with all your heart, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God, because you can't love the Lord Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. The Father gave you to the Son and the Holy Spirit regenerated you because you had been given to the Son. So when you were saved, it was a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinitarian work of salvation in your heart. It wasn't just you figuring it out, coming to an understanding. It was God, beginning to end. 